Our Father, we thank you for these moments set aside week in and week out for us together as the family of God. We have sought to prioritize these moments because we are a forgetful people. We are a people, God, that need your voice and your direction to make sense of the world in which we live. We're thankful that you are tending to us, that you are shepherding us and speaking to us. And I pray that this morning, particularly, you would, you would give us a renewed vision for masculinity and that you would raise up faithful and godly men in this community that would represent your character beautifully and well in their homes and in their relationships. And so we need your help. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak into a, an area that has been clouded and is, is confusing in our moment in time. We need your help and we thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet, that it is a bright shaft of light that cuts into shadows and darkness. And so what we're saying is come and lead and shape and train us to be your people. You're welcome in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us, what you, what you know is that we've just finished going through Genesis 1 through 11. So the attuned listeners may have thought, wait a second, we just did this. We're back in Genesis 1 and 2, and then 2 again, and 3. We made sure to cover it. Um, that uh, you're, you're wondering what, what's going on, and that's a fair question. I just, I want to kind of situate us for this week and over the next couple of weeks in something that we're doing. We, we've established origins, Genesis 1 through 11. We have three weeks till Advent, and we are wrestling as a team about in these few weeks, what to do. And we, we realized there was just so much, so much truth left in these pages, especially around some issues that are particularly cloudy for us in our moment in time, in our place in time. And it felt like I felt irresponsible as a preacher to say, okay, we've worked Genesis 1 through 11, let's move on to the next thing, particularly in the fact that we gave one week to biblical anthropology and uh, it was after the fact that I've just, as I've been wrestling and praying, I felt like the Lord going, hey, we, there's work left to be done there for the good of our hearts and our lives and our ordering as a community and as families and in our relationships. And so it's to that end that we're going we're gonna to kind of go back and double click on what we touched on a while back about biblical anthropology, but specifically in three weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what is God's intention for men, for biblical masculinity? That's this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about what is God's intention for women, biblical femininity. That's next week. And then on the third week, we're going to talk about what is God's intention for the way that he brings that together in divine oneness, for the relational connection between men and women. This felt like a necessary companion to our origin series to fill out our understanding of anthropology and to make sure that we don't move too quickly. If you've ever been in the car listening to like a sports game or something that you're tuned into on the radio, but you're driving across miles, sometimes you'll, it'll grow staticky based off of your moving from one area to the next. You're kind of picking up the next, uh, the next signal. And I feel like 
what we're engaging in over these three weeks is kind of like that experience. Because if you've ever been in that moment, driving late night, trying to listen to your favorite team and the static starts building, I always have the same kind of experience. It's like, shh, 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 shushing all the voices in the room. Like you lean in, you're like, I don't wanna miss it. Gotta pay attention, everybody quiet. And you lean in because where there's lots of static, there's, there's this necessary thing of like, I need to silence the voices and I need to lean in to see if I can, can make sense of what's being communicated through the static. And I think talking about masculinity and femininity and the right ordering of our relationships and our homes and marriages, the way that God is intending these things, we live in a current moment where the static is intense. And the number of voices that are speaking about this are significant. And so we need to lean in and try to make sense of what is it actually that God is saying? Because we need to be honest about this reality that the church has actually been part of the issue of the static at different points throughout time. That, that if we're going to make sense of the voice of God in the midst of the static and the voices, we've got to actually pay attention to the fact that some of the ways that the church has talked about masculinity and femininity has not been helpful. This is that idea of you, maybe you've been around in the life of church where to, to be at a men's retreat or a women's retreat, it, it has a underpinning of biblical masculinity and femininity with some cultural norms stretched over it that are almost communicated with the same authority as what the scriptures are actually saying. So this is the idea that God has intention for masculinity and intention for femininity. So what that means is men love to eat meat and shoot guns and women like to cross stitch. And it's, it's almost communicated with the same intensity of what's actually in the text. And that just creates more static, leaving a lot of people feeling like, okay, the God, God has something to say about masculinity, but I don't, I don't stack up to God's standard. Or God has something to say about femininity, but I don't feel particularly feminine in those ways. I kind of would rather go hunting than cross-stitching or whatever it is. And because there's been static in the categories, there are men and women in the church community that are left going, well, I don't, I don't know that I line up. I think this is confusing. So in the midst of the static, in the midst of all the voices, we wanna lean in and try to pay attention to what is it that God is actually saying? And how do we raise that up? Because what we want to say, we, the church of all people should be the ones that are saying equality, yes. Where there is a cultural impulse towards identifying the equality between men and women. The church should be the leading voice because it is the theological underpinnings of anthropology that allow us to say with authority, we are all created equal in dignity and value and worth before God. And the church has to be clear about this reality that where we are saying same, where there is sameness between gender, the church needs to very clearly say no. No, yes to equality, no to sameness. That there is actually God-given distinctions between men and women for our good, for his glory, for our flourishing. And so this week, next week, and the following, we're gonna talk about masculinity, femininity, and divine oneness. This morning, let me just say this, uh, to single men in the room, I hope this is an encouragement this is a strengthening. This is an invitation to in ways that go beyond what you've done before to take giant steps into God's design for your life in a way that will create 
flourishing and health for your relationships, and if you are hoping and desiring to one day welcome a woman into your life, these truths will prepare you to do that in a healthy way that will allow a woman to flourish alongside of you. To single women, I hope that this inspires and encourages you in the way that you are willing to wait. If you're hoping to be married one day, to wait for a man that looks like what we're going to talk about, um, that would encourage you to pray for the single men around you and to encourage them towards this end. Married men, I hope this encourages and challenges you about the order that you're establishing in your home, the way that you're going to engage in full biblical masculinity. To our married women, I would encourage you not to allow this sermon to become a weapon. This is not, did you hear what the preacher said a real man does? Like, married women, would you, would you pray for your husbands? And I hope that you hear the weight of the calling on them and that you would pray for them and encourage them, but not weaponize this truth. That this is one of those places where masculinity and femininity can get twisted in the way that we want to leverage the truth for our benefit, both directions. Um, and to parents in the room, I hope this inspires the way that you're thinking about your young, the young boys in your house, if you've been entrusted with any of them, about what is the target that you're shooting for. Okay, very simply, three things that we're going to do together from these first three chapters of Genesis, looking specifically at males, men. We're going to talk about the design for manhood, the pitfalls of manhood, and the redemption of manhood. It's very simple. Okay. The design for manhood. Men have been designed for a dominion of dependence. This is true of humanity in its totality in Genesis 1. And then we see it specifically through a masculine lens in Genesis chapter 2. But a dominion of dependence. Establishing order. Bringing order out of chaos. Working hard to name and identify to speak into dark and confusing places so that health and wholeness can emerge. This is a high calling. We see it initially identified in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. We have studied these verses a couple of times together. I'm just going to read them briefly and make one note for our purposes here. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So establishing dominion. Dominion is the the royal language of like a king's order and rule. We talked about this a couple of months ago. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them and God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. God establishes a really high calling, and then he says, and I will provide everything you need for the path. That's the rhythm there, and you're going to see it again in chapter 2. Establish dominion and order, fill the earth, and by the way, I'm giving you all the food and all the fuel and all the provision you need. I will tend to you as you represent me in the world. He is saying this to humanity, and then he zooms in with Adam in chapter 2, and this is the way we see it particularly expressed 
this dominion of dependence, remaining dependent on God, this is how it gets expressed in chapter 2, 15, 16, and 19. The Lord God took the man, he takes Adam, and puts him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So this is, we talked about this priestly language, working and keeping the garden, helping establish order and health in it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Do you hear it? Dominion and dependence again. He's saying, work it and keep it and protect it. And by the way, I've given you everything you need. You're gonna have the fuel and the provision for it. And then in verse 19, he invites Adam into this process. Now out of the ground, the Lord God informed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Adam and God are on a journey together. God's intention is that his image will be multiplied and cover the earth so that his image and glory will be seen clearly. He is intending that mankind exercise dominion and specifically for Adam, what he's saying is, I want you to initiate. I want you to work and keep this garden. I want you to name all of the animals. You're the one, you're the tool by which you're exercising order and bringing order out of the chaos of this garden that I have created. He is inviting Adam into the creative and cultivating work alongside of him. This, this sort of work is uniquely entrusted to, to men throughout the scriptures. This work of initiating and creating health for the, or, for the space that they're in. This is something that we see throughout the scriptures as God is calling the man to be what in the New Testament is called the head of his household. There's headship language to initiate like Jesus initiates with the church is the way that the groom initiates with the bride. He's inviting man with all of his masculine energy to create space for thriving. You see, there's this phenomenon right now. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of someone like uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's this interesting cultural phenomenon. I don't endorse everything that Jordan Peterson says. What I, what I want to highlight, though, is here's this Canadian academic that speaks and very academic terms. He gives academic lectures that sometimes last for hours and thousands of people buy tickets to come and watch them live. And then millions of people watch them on YouTube afterwards. And he is saying things that are receiving a great deal of cultural pushback. Things like men have unique masculine energy that needs to be directed into the world for the good of others that masculine energy is a different sort of energy than feminine energy, and that needs to be directed for the flourishing of others. This is a statement that Peterson makes and defends, and I think there's, there's plenty that's compelling about what he says, but I think what's so intriguing is that a statement that throughout the history of mankind and in cultures all around the globe would have been accepted as kind of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Men and women are different and there's a masculine energy that a man is kind of directing for the good of others, that this has led to incredible pushback for Peterson. In essence, what he is articulating as he is trying to put his hands on the distinctions between an XY chromosome and an XX chromosome is that there is something embedded in the DNA that we as Christians reading the book of Genesis would say was embedded and intended by God himself to create differing distinct roles. 
And a man engaged in dominion, the words that are connected with it is work and keep. This is the idea of creation and cultivation. He's called to name and to tend, to follow through and to initiate things that we see are being called to men throughout the time. It, hmm, I'll say it like this. Men, if they're not careful in our, our day and time, are because the only way that masculinity is talked about is in conjunction with toxicity. That if toxic masculinity is the only sort of masculinity we talk about, we may miss this reality, that God has intended that there is a unique masculine initiation for the good of all in their community. I remember, <laughs> I remember this. Uh, in college, I liked Ashley, and she didn't like me. I remember that pretty well. It lasted a couple of years. And uh, I was in this, we were in this community of men and women and uh, we would all hang out. And I was in this endless kind of journey of trying to be, oh, I wanted to be charming. I wanted to be desirable, but I certainly didn't want to initiate. And so I play these games with the girls in my community of like, oh, so what are you doing Friday night? Uh, which is a terrible question. By the way, men, don't ever ask a woman that question. <laughs> Especially if you're hoping it me, you, you want to invite them to go out with you on Friday night. All you're doing is setting them up to be exposed and awkward because they can say, well, I'm not doing anything, which is kind of embarrassing. Or they can run the risk if they're secretly hoping, I want you to ask me out. They can say, well, I... Uh, you know, I, I'm not doing anything, so I'm hoping, or they can say, I'm doing something, trying not to look like they're socially inept, and, but now you draw back. You see, what I was doing is I was playing these constant games, not wanting to be the one exposed. I was drawing the women out around me, like Ashley, hoping that they would show me their affection so that I would finally know that I could ask them out without any risk. It was this it was this way to try to navigate the world without ever initiating or leading out in a way that would create safety for others. I was leaving the women exposed because I didn't want to be. And I remember a mentor saying to me, this is the way you ask a woman out. I was like, wait, what? And he said, if you're doing this, you're doing everything wrong. And he named all the things I was doing. And I was like, okay. He's like, this is what you do. You look at a woman and you say, I'm interested in you. I think you're really wonderful. I wanna take you out. I'll come and I'll pick you up at 6 p.m. and we're gonna to go to this place and we're gonna do this thing and I'll drop you back off at 10 p.m. We're gonna have a great time. Would you do that with me? Now, that is an attempt to, to articulate. That challenge for me was a recognition that there is a masculine energy that is intended to initiate and create safety for people in a community. That's a very simple example, but the idea is, men, that you are called to initiate, to lead, to create order so that others can be safe and provided for. I, I will tell you this, that a woman that is respected and seen in that way and pursued in that way, there's, there's a great deal of dignity given to a woman in that, sort of, in that sort of moment, not just playing endless games. You see, we are, we are called to step out, to cultivate and to tend to in such a way that Jesus 
initiates with the bride. And then he says, listen, men, this is how you initiate with women. Look at the way that Christ pursued and wooed and loved the church when she was uninterested in him with direction and purpose. And then he says, this is your model. Men, go and love your wife like this. Men, pursue a woman like this. That there is an an invitation to have an agency, to engage, to make life better around you. But listen, men, it's always through dependence on God's presence and provision. And this is incredibly important. This is not a prideful, domineering, look at how strong I am. I take control of every situation I'm in. This is not what this is talking about because ultimately the man is thoroughly dependent on what God is providing and God reminds him every time he calls him into action. He says, so I want you to go do this and by the way, I'm the one that's providing your fuel for today, everything that you need, look around, every tree that you're eating of, I will take care of you so that you've got the energy to keep moving forward. Industrious enjoyment of God's provision industrious enjoyment of God's provision. You follow this idea? You're out working hard and you're going, God is the one that's providing for me to step out and to create order out of chaos and to not shy away from the darkness, to, to, to engage the darkness and to bring light and beauty into this space. But I'm doing so dependent upon God's power and help. Industrious enjoyment of God's provision breeds abiding trust. A man that steps out and leads with God's power and kindness we'll begin to trust God and experience him more fully and better. Um, I'll say it like this. I got to, I was just in Accra. Many of you know, I got to travel to see our ministry partners in Nigeria and in Ghana. And many of you know, Sam Boteng. He was here from Accra, Ghana. He preached in this pulpit and connected with different leaders in this community. A phenomenal church planter that's doing a really meaningful work in a city of 5 million people that has a great deal of influence in Western Africa. And I got to meet with he and his mentor, an older man with a shock of white hair, both really amazing leaders. And I got to see them in their element. They've been at this work for just over a year, year and a half, and they have this convening power. They brought together really key leaders from different backgrounds that have never worked together. And there was a room full of leaders that are dreaming about a whole new movement of God in their city. And these men are leading it. It was a really daunting thing to step into this space and say, maybe you and you could actually be friends and work together. But they stepped out not fully knowing what to expect, but they courageously initiated this thing And now the winds of the spirit are moving in power in the city. And so I got to see them lead in this setting. All of these strong leaders that are following them and are dreaming about the way that they're gonna meet the needs of widows and orphans in their city and the ways that they're gonna meet the issues of hunger and continue to deal with political corruption and to plant healthy churches and have movements convening. And these people are dreaming and using their energy towards that end. And I sat with these men the next morning over breakfast, stunned by what I had witnessed. I was like, tell me about this. This must be so exciting to see what God is doing. And there was such profound humility. They're like, no, no, no. We just stepped out not knowing at all what was gonna happen, but God is moving. And we know that he's moving and it's not us. And what I saw is a beautiful picture of a dominion of dependence. Men that were willing to be courageous and to step out, not knowing what was on the other side, to take to take initiative and create order. But when God moves, they don't stand back and go, yeah, look at what I've created. 
they realize that God is tending to them. Dominion of dependence creates humility, not pride. Well, let's talk about the, what happens when sin enters the system. A dominion of dependence, taking initiative and responsibility and doing so by God's power. But when sin enters, there's a pitfall. It gets turned upside down. Look at chapter three, verses six and seven with me. And we're gonna not see a dominion of dependence, but we see something very different. We see irresponsible independence. Verse six, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So we know this is at the conclusion. The serpent has been talking to Eve. She's listened to the voice of the serpent. She takes the fruit, she eats it and she turns and we learn that Adam has been there silently watching the whole time. He was entrusted with authority in the garden to work it and to keep it, to exercise dominion, to provide the health and the wholeness of this garden. And now he has stood and he has watched as his wife is picked off by a deceiver. He silently watches. And then it says, the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves loincloths. Do you see that in this very moment, it's the inverse it's not dominion and dependence. It's irresponsibility. He stands and he watches. He doesn't say anything. He is passive and he is silent. And then when he realizes that everything is broken because he has not been responsible for his leadership, he goes and starts trying to make fig leaves alongside of Eve. And this is this idea of independence. I can fix this. I can cover this. I don't need God's help and I'm not going to come in repentance. It's the exact opposite of what God has intended. Irresponsible independence. And irresponsibility always leads in the same direction. The silent and the passive start to spiral. And listen, men, I just wanna, I wanna ask honestly, have you begun to engage in the pitfalls of irresponsibility? Is this you? Is there something here that we need to repent of? This is the way of the fruit. This is the way of the younger brother. This is, this is a weak man who is always assuming someone else is gonna come up with a solution. Yes, everything's a mess, but I'm sure somebody else will tend to this or take care of this. This man is always down for a good time, even when work needs to be done. Like there's work that needs to be done. But he's like, oh, sure, it'll take care of itself. We'll get to it. Let's go have a good time. He's an entertainment junkie. He would call himself laid back. He's a consumer. He never wants to offend anyone. He's always looking for the path of least resistance. People love him a lot. You always want this guy at the party, but nobody relies on him because he has been engaging in the irresponsibility that is an upending of the dominion that he's been called to. Men, where, where do you see yourself engaging in irresponsibility? What it leads to in chapter three and verse 12 is this, complaining and criticizing. The irresponsible man complains a lot and criticizes a lot. Chapter three and verse 12, it says this, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. He's complaining against God and he's criticizing his wife in the same breath because this is what the irresponsible man does. He sidesteps responsibility and he says, it's their fault, it's their fault. I couldn't have done anything about it. Irresponsibility. Um, independence is the other piece. 
This is the hiding and the posturing with the fig leaves. It's not just a silent and a passive man, but this is the tough guy. This is the, I don't need anybody's help. I've got this under control. And you see both erupt from sin. And quite frankly, oftentimes we try to course correct with each of the other. That this man is given to bravado and to brutality. He is a tough guy that doesn't need anything. In chapter three and verse 16, the way that the curse shows up in marriage is this. It says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That is not God's intention. That is God's recognition of what the curse is doing to the relationship. The man is now ruling over the woman, domineering, not dominion. Man is not called to domination. He is called to exercising a godly dominion. And the struggle is this, that oftentimes we will bounce back and forth between these two realities of hitting eject on responsibility It's someone else's fault. But then in the recognition of I'm not taking care of my stuff, we come back over here and with toughness go, all right, well, I'm gonna get it in order and I'm gonna do these things. And both are equally a display of sinful masculinity. Neither is a display of what God has intended. And the struggle is that irresponsible independence is the picture of the good life culturally for our men. We think that if that experience that I had in college from 18 to 22, if I can stretch it out to 30 or 35, being irresponsible as long as possible, being independent, nobody, I don't, I'm not responsible for anyone or anything. I get to do whatever I please and tend to myself. That this sort of equation continues to sow the seeds of the unhealth that started all the way back in the garden. Okay. God has made you men for a dominion of dependence, to take responsibility for yourself and for others and to do so by the power of God. This produces humility and gentleness, not bravado. But the struggle is that sin has warped us. It has caused us to engage in irresponsibility or independence. So what's the solution? The redemption of mankind comes through the true man. I just want us to finish here to, to see the beauty of godly masculinity pictured for us. That in Romans chapter five, what we learn is this, that where Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. Romans five verse 17 says this, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. There is this picture that Paul is sketching out that everywhere where Adam failed, Jesus stepped in and succeeded. Adam listened to the voice of the enemy, but Jesus confronted him in the wilderness. He silenced the enemy. He said, be silent and be gone. That Jesus relied on God as he exercised dominion. He came announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand and the poor and the lame and the beggars are gonna be the ones that reap the benefits because where my dominion exists, others flourish that have been forgotten. And as he exercises dominion, he does it dependent on the father all the way to the end. He's not thumping his chest with toughness He is humble and lowly, dependent on God's direction and power. 
Jesus accomplishes all. And what we see is that he is this perfect picture at the same point of tough and tender. You read the gospels and pay attention to how tough Jesus is. He's willing to say hard things and to stand for truth, but he's so tender with those that need a gracious touch. He's giving us a picture of biblical masculinity on display. He is a warrior poet, like the great King David that came before him, ready to go to battle, but leading the people in worship and in song and in tenderness. A warrior poet, tough and tender by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45, in his death, he accomplished all for righteousness sake. In his resurrection, this is what he secured. Look at this. It says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The picture of Jesus in his resurrection is that life pours out of him for the benefit of others around him. He is a life-giving spirit in his resurrection. Okay. Maybe you feel it. I'm editing as I go. I've got about 30 minutes on the editing room floor. Uh, I wish I could preach it all to you. Let me finish by saying this. I'm so hungry for every wife and sister and female friend in the room to be surrounded by men and the body of Christ that takes seriously their masculinity. I long for it for you, for your delight and your joy. So ladies, because I long for you to be tended to and to experience this kind of tender care, men, let me say this to you. Do not stay in the pitfalls of sinful masculinity. Turn your eyes to Jesus, the one that boldly and courageously died for you and redeemed the beauties of masculinity and raised them to be life-giving spirits. Reject passivity. Do not continue to stand idly by where your wife needs someone to step up and to defend and to fight, to care for her, to provide healing, to lead spiritually to maybe lead in vulnerability and tenderness, not trying to hide behind a thick shell like you're so tough. Maybe it really is that the time has come for you to step into the uncomfortable places with the, with the masculine energy that Jesus is redeeming in you. Reject passivity. Embrace responsibility. Step out. Engage. Lay down your tough guy brutality and all of the ways that you think your bravado makes you tough. Look at Jesus and engage in a spirit-filled warrior poet engagement in the world, tough and tender. Establishing the order in your home that is needed. By the Spirit's power, we can become, we can be tough and tender warrior poets. Your children will flourish under this sort of care. Your girlfriend will be so grateful to have a man that takes responsibility and doesn't stand idly by. Men, let's be men in the way that God is calling us. It doesn't mean you have to go shoot guns and eat meat. It doesn't mean that you have to pretend to be tough and have everything together at every moment. But it does mean you're being called to to reject passivity, accept responsibility, boldly step into the world and do so with the tenderness of Jesus. The world is dying to see real men that will step into their role for the glory of God. Be those sorts of men. Let me pray for us.
So God, thank you that you have designed humanity with purpose and intention. Would you convict us where we have resisted, where we have shied away from what you have clearly said in Old and New Testament because it becomes culturally uncomfortable? Would you forgive me for that, for a fear of man that I smuggle in? I pray that we would be a people that lean in in the midst of the static and say, God, speak to us about what it means to be human, what it means to be man and woman so that our homes and our church family could look like what you intended, could look like the Trinity, that we could actually image you, Father, Son, and Spirit to the world. Help us to do that work. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in power, that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us in conversations in house churches throughout the week, that you would draw us into your intention, that we would see Jesus more clearly, and that we all together would follow him more fully. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.